Welcome to the Books on Air podcast. I'm Suzanne Harris, and my listeners get the secret story behind every book. Joining me today is Carol Gig, and she's here to talk about her personal and inspirational book, TBI, To Be Injured, Surviving and Thriving After a Brain Injury. Carol is a licensed clinical social worker. She received her bachelor's degree from Dartmouth College. She holds a master's degree in social welfare as well as a master's degree in public health from the University of California at Berkeley. She's worked as a psychotherapist in private practice, a case manager with developmentally disabled clients and their families, a child therapist working with abused and battered children, and she's also worked as a behavioral medicine specialist and subchief. Carol, I'm so glad that you're here on Books on Air today. I think your book is so important. I'm so glad we're talking about it. Well, thank you. What a nice introduction. Oh, well, you're a nice person, and you've written such (laughs) an important book. I have a question about that. Authors write books for a variety of reasons. Now, this story is your personal story. Why did you decide that you wanted to share this story, personal as it is, in a book? There's one reason for this book alone, and that is that I want to tell people who have been brain injured, any kind of brain injury, that they don't have to live the life predicted for them. They don't have to be limited by what part of the brain was injured. It's just not true. Research has proven it is not true. They don't have to live the life predicted they would. You know, with your background and your clinical experience, when this happened to you, you knew the inside story. You knew what was going on. Were you scared? I'm scared, yeah, but more so motivated, I think. Why? Well, when the injury happened, I did have a lot of people telling me what it was that I was going to happen, what was going to happen to me. And I began to realize, I mean, I went right back to work within months. I mean, and that was after neurosurgery. So I knew that something wasn't, something wasn't predictable. And I knew, and there are certain variables that anyone can practice, practices that they can do and their brain can actually regenerate neurons and pathways. So I'm living proof of that. And I want other people to know that so that they don't get very depressed and discouraged. Your message is so positive because you have just done extraordinarily well. You've exceeded all expectations. Is that a fair statement to make for me? Yeah, Yeah, it is. And and my friends who are physicians and my neurologists, they would tell you the same thing. Let's give our listeners an overview of the book. Okay. The book is a description of what happened to me, for sure. And I mean, from the injury throughout the next year or so in recovery. And it also includes research that's been done since I was injured. And I want to emphasize that because these things weren't known when I was injured. People are told a lot different things now than they were then. So I think that's really important for people to know that the research proves this. And then I give basically a variety of exercises that you can do yourself that will help your brain. 
Brain is just another muscle. If you look at it that way, it has to be exercised. So that's where we start. That perspective is a wonderful perspective. And I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I think people sometimes don't remember, and if you'll pardon me for saying don't remember, that their brain can be exercised and can be improved as a result of those exercises. And I love it that you have included that in the book. Yeah. Well, thank you. I think that's a very important part of it. I'm going to give you a little bit of the research that's been done because I've mentioned that how many nauseating times. <laughs> no, but <laughs> I, just, I, um, I just think it's very important that people understand I'm not sort of pulling this out of a hat, that this has actually been verified. I'm going to tell you a little bit, if it's okay with you, Suzanne, I'm going to tell you a little bit about actually brain injuries and the impact that they've had on society. Oh, please. Because that's what motivated all of the research. Go right ahead. All right. About one and a half million Americans suffer from traumatic brain injuries. And by the way, I'm going to refer that not as, as being injured, to be injured rather than TBI, because TBI has such a pejorative um, contact, contact. So anyway, um, because more and more studies have been devoted to this problem, our awareness is growing. A traumatic brain injury occurs every 15 seconds, and this includes concussions, of course. And the brain is shooken around in the head. Traumatic brain injury is the number one cause of death in children and young adults. It causes one and a half times more death than AIDS. This is all from the Brain Injury Research Institute, and that was as recent as 2016. That's when things began to rock and roll. You know, your personal story um, lays on top of the research. What happened? I mean, I know it was an accident. You just went out, like so many of us have done, just out for a morning exercise bike ride. Yeah, I have to stop you right there. Okay. Um, I don't no, no, I just like to make this point to people again, with the hope that this makes a difference to those who've been brain injured. Yes, I was out riding my bike by myself. I'm very good shape, always have been. And somebody hit me with their car and left me, um, left me unconscious, bleeding by the side of the road. And I am just, it's amazing that someone else went by and called in, <clears throat> called in the uh, 911, and they got me there. And frankly, the only reason I'm, well, one of the few reasons I'm alive is the neurosurgeon who wasn't usually there, is at John Merrill Hospital, hospital, wasn't usually there very often, and he happened to be there that day. This man saved my life, among other things, but certainly he did. A very, very modest person. So that's, yeah, that's basically what happened. It took me a long time to recover initially. My, I come out of the concussion it was days, but I had my friends and my family, and that, if nothing else, that pulled me through um, those days following once I became conscious. The other thing that was very important, and I really want to encourage people, chosen family and biological family, cover yourself with friends as much as you can, people who support you, not question you, not pity you, very important, not pity you. What you need is empathy. And motivation. You know, it used to be thought that the brain stopped growing at a certain age and didn't change after that. And we know now that's just not true. As they say, neurons do regenerate. So back to me for just a second. <laughs> um, I think what was most important for me was understanding what was happening with me because it wasn't going as expected. It was going much better. Um, I had my neurologist at the time, uh, Dr. G, I'll call her. And she actually said to me, well, You've done so well right now. You don't really need a, a close follow-up now. 
So <laughs> just amazing. I heard that and then I went, okay, all right, I get it. And the other thing, frankly, that happened, and I hope, well, I think this is probably one of the most important points. I received a battery of neuropsych texts, texts, tests while I was at the hospital. And they revealed that, yes, I'd had some memory problems. So I went in again in uh, 2009, and I had the same battery of tests. <laughs> this, is, this is what happened. These scores suggest an improvement in her visual spatial memory performance six, since 2006. These skills were all improved from prior performance. Proof. That if that doesn't what if that isn't proof, I don't know what it is. Demonstrates significant improvements. It just we don't have to be stuck where we were told we would be stuck based on that part of the brain. So I I really hope that people do hear that. It's so essential in order how people go on. I mean, that. The, the depression doubles the problem. I mean, you get those little depression genes <laughs> flowing through your brain and you're making things much worse and putting yourself down. It's, it's kind of like Eleanor Roosevelt said, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. So it's important. You know, we have to uphold ourselves. Oh, there's a wonderful study. Suzanne, I, I just uh, start. I'll stop for a minute. You no, no, it's okay. Okay. I think what There's you're saying is so study. important. <laughs> um, this this um, study that was done many, many years ago and wasn't taken up until more recently, um, it's amazing. There's a book, anybody can look it up. It's called The Nun Study by Snowden. I'm looking it up myself. Here it is. Okay. David, uh, David Snowden's work, Nun Study of Aging and Alzheimer's Disease. There were several variables which contribute to a decrease in the potential for contracting this disease. What happened is they went out, somebody <laughs> found out this group of nuns developed Alzheimer's disease at a much, much less lower rate than the general population. So they began studying them. And these, you have to remember, these women, they were, they were isolated, but they were very aware of world events. That was just part of it. They did discussions about it all the time. They were stimulating their brains. They socialized with each other. and They met often to discuss these types of things. They were down on their hands and knees, scrubbing the floors. They did yard work home maintenance, they did everything. So they were very, very active physically, unlike most of our population. And they had moderate, um, moderate amount of alcohol, no smoking and a good diet. And they were very, very emotionally supportive of each other. They did some medica- meditation through prayer, which I certainly do uh, before and since. So socializing, engaging in mind-stimulating exercises, either on the computer or reading, Eating well and not smoking or drinking, in moderation you can. Eating a healthy diet and engaging in some form of spiritual practice are significant in predicting and influencing brain health and cognition later in life. Now I have to tell you something, and this is not the quote anymore. This is me. The most important thing of the one of these variables by far is being in shape, is exercise. It's just crucial, and, and I do worry about our country, as I'm sure most people do, the diabetes rate skyrocketing, fast food places multiplying. It's so important for us to get out there and move. It's just essential. There's a lovely book, Suzanne. It's called Go Wild. And it's a med- medical school, I think Harvard, John Rady, and then another journalist, John Manning. This is a really well-researched book. It's the importance of exercise and brain function. It's a wonderful, wonderful study and actually a lot of fun to read, quite frankly, as you can imagine. Can so you hear me clapping? 
Can you hear me clapping? There you go. <laughs> we all have to. We all have to do this. They all have to do this. So yeah, I think that's an important piece too. I do too. I mean, I could not mm-hmm. agree with you more. I'm, if you, you know, I think what happens to people is that they look at a number, seventy, sixty, whatever it is, and they think, "Oh my uh-huh. gosh, I'm old," and so oh. what do I do? I, I. I can't, I can't do what I used to do, so what do I do? And I think they start by sitting down. And I could not agree with you more, Carol. I mean, that's yeah. one of the reasons I think you and I are yeah. so, so compatible, because we're right <laughs> on the very same page with this. Yeah, yeah, it is important, and it does. it is scary. But it also, you have to realize that this leads to dementia. I'm, I'm a baby boomer, right? I mean, you are, and it just feels like if people don't know this, and they don't know that this big, big baby boom, we're all going to have trouble with this, yeah. certainly with our parents, but also ourselves. If yeah. We don't get up off our asses and start doing something. <laughs> so, excuse me. It's all right. It's all right. Okay. See, what, what's important is that the listeners are hearing the passion in your voice for this. And I think that, Carol, it's just so important. You are such a wonderful, not only role model, but advocate. I just, I really am, you, you can't hear me clapping because I thought that would be inappropriate, but I'm, I'm silently in my brain <laughs> clapping my hands to almost everything that you've said. You know, when you were writing the book, did you have an audience in mind? I mean, was there somebody that you thought about that you wanted to read the book? Absolutely. And that's a broad way, but there was a guy in my the library where I wrote most of the book, brain injured, and he was sitting there like a bump on a log, mostly just so he could get out of the rain. This guy was bright. Yeah, he would be an example of the kind of person that I want to reach because he was sitting there, and you know, by the end of it, and my, excuse me, my book was in the library, <laughs> so, um, but no, I could talk to him, and you know, he he was perfectly capable of writing. And by the way, anyone who has a passion. Let me start again. Anyone does have a passion. They may not know what it is, but if they immerse themselves in it, they lose track of times and it creates something they want to share with other people. There you go. Mine happens to be writing. And his certainly was. Some people it's gardening. Some people it's cooking. I mean, it just varies. But doing that is essential to stave off depression, but also to exercise your mind. It's a beautiful, beautiful way. Everyone has one. We just got to find it. I agree. I agree with that. Let's. I know our listeners are curious about the book, and I know that there's a part of it that you would like to share. So would you read that part that you wanted to share now? Sure. Yeah, this one, it's about speech therapy. You know, I was referred a lot of places, a lot of places that I, after I got injured that were supposed to help me. I'm putting that in quotes. Here, here, you can just go here and you'll feel much better. Well, I didn't feel badly. I really felt pretty strong. But I thought, okay, they know what they're talking about. I'll better go. So, here we go. My HMO referred me to a post-surgery service, one of whom was a speech therapist. Might be different from others with similar diagnoses. He didn't seem to realize that, nor that I had actually gotten better since my initial status. So, I didn't expect a whole lot. I'd never been to a speech therapist. But I eventually succeeded in locating his office, marked with his name. Opening the door, I stepped into an empty waiting room consisting of a few chairs and no receptionist. I was a little confused, but I sat down and waited. Eventually, the door to the inner office 
sanctum opened and the patient emerged. She was dejected and forlorn. Shortly afterwards, the door opened again to reveal an enormous mahogany desk behind which sat an officious looking man. He crooked his finger at me without rising. Good morning, my dear. Come right on in and take a seat. As I approached, he waved his hands toward the chair in front of the desk. I won't tell you all this, but uh, let me just run down here. Well, honey, some tough stuff. I've reviewed your case and have begun to make some plans for you regarding your speech and speech therapy. You know, I didn't respond, but what was there to say? He wasn't asking me for my input or comment, so I just sat and waited. Well, dear, before we begin, let's agree to a few things. His voice slowed to a drawl. It's likely you will be confused about what we do here first. Don't blame yourself, as this will work against you when we are trying to do something about it. If while you're, I'm explaining you get confused or need to ask a question, just raise your hand, and I'll stop to give you time. Collect your thoughts and express yourself as best you can. Needless to say, I, uh, coming out of the book for a second, I was, needless to say, very upset. Thinking, Steam must have been coming out of your ears. Carol, what must have been coming out of your ears? He said, you know, um, don't worry about any of this. I have a lot of experience in the type of injury sustained. All you need to do is trust me. Well, since I knew that even to survive such a severe injury, never mind remain fully functional, was exceedingly rare, I felt even less inclined to return. <laughs> As I heard toward the door, anxious to leave, he said, oh, oh, by the way, we will want to get some idea about how well you can do on your own. Now, remember, I was already back at work for some time. All I ask you to do, and I know it will be difficult for you, is to write sentences on a paper. Bring it back to me when you come in again. Try not to get too frustrated with yourself, as this will only make matters worse. And remember, you and I are going to work together, and I promise we will see you progress. So I wasn't impressed by the fact that he was making a plan without any feedback from me. I felt humiliated more than anything else, mixed with a good dose of anger at his assumptions. What happened is, I can laugh at it now, I didn't then. Um, When I came back again the second time and sat down, he said, now, honey, did you remember to do the assignment I wrote down for you? Yes, I did, I said, handing him the sentences. And here's something I wrote after I was injured. I passed the papers to him. It was the story of what I remembered about the ride that day, which I wrote, wrote, frankly, while I was still in the hospital. He read through the first few pages and scanned the rest. When he finished, he laid the story down on his desk, shook his head, and turned to me. Now, honey, you can tell me who really wrote this. I did, I responded, surprised by the assumption that I hadn't. Oh, sure you did, dear, as he reached across the desk and patted my hand. But really, dear, we're not going to make much progress if you're not honest with me. Well, that did it. I stood up and headed for the door, and his whiny voice beseeching me to return and calm down. Now, I know patience, it's not a virtue of which I'm abundantly endowed in all circumstances, but frankly, I think I demonstrated considerable reserve in this case. I left the writing on his desk as testament to my proficiency. So that's just a little example <laughs> of things that um, you will, anybody who's brain injured will run up against. It's just a fact, you know, understanding this is important before you launch into the world again. You are strong. You came through this. And you're going to, with work, you're going to get back some of what you lost. Not all of it, but a lot. And you've got to believe in yourself. And somebody who calls you honey and pats you (laughs) and doesn't even let you talk is not someone that I think would really help me 
regress if I were in that situation. I, I can't believe you just didn't explode at this guy, but I admire your 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 My control. Respect. Yeah, really. Wow. Well, now you can, Suzanne, you can interview him on your next show, oh. and we'll see if he, he might have a different story. Yes, he might have a different. <laughs> The first honey, I think we might drop. You know, I think yeah. that our call yeah. might We're drop. Curious, yeah. yeah, really. Yeah. I, you know, I when when I heard that, when I read that, when we we talked about this before, um, I, I was just stunned, and I tried to think, okay, why would this person be like that? How old was he? You never did talk about how old a, a man he was. Does that matter? Well, it was probably only, he was probably only about you know, 60, 65, but he looked a lot older. I was just telling from my research of him after. Wow. Yeah, but certainly was a lot, at least in heart, was a lot older. Well, I hope that if anyone who is, is within the sound of both of our voices right now has experienced something like that, that they will take away from that what you did and the way that you felt after you left. You said, you know, I don't need you. I'm strong. I'm going to be able to do this. And I know that there are qualified people out there who would never treat a patient like he exactly. treated you. Uh-uh. Many more people now than there ever have been. And the research. Who are, who are doing well, sorry. Who do it the right way. You know, your research, not only is this your personal story, but you just did copious amounts of research. And there is all kinds of information in your yeah. book. You talk about sports injuries. You talk about concussions. You talk about football, soccer, uh, men, women, young women, young men, girls, boys, kids. You have, I mean, you cover the gamut in the book, and that's research-based. The, the things that about you that you experienced are your personal story, and you overlay that research with that personal story, and I think that really gives you an amazing amount of credibility, not to mention the fact that your background is so strong and you're so clinical. I, I always admire you so much. I, I don't mean to be blathering and raving about how wonderful you are, Carol, but I think that that's true. <laughs> I really do. I mean, I think that's true because you've done such a masterful job with this book. And I know that, did you learn anything about yourself that you didn't expect to learn when you were writing the book? Oh, yeah. Um, first of all, how important friends are to me. I wrote a poem a little bit back called Friendship is My Deity. I could not possibly have done this without friends. I, uh, one of them set up a blog and kept everyone at the hospital where I worked informed. It's just, you, you got to have that. And, and if we don't, then we reach out to the people who are that way to us. It'd be amazing if everybody did that and could find that. And I certainly found that about myself. I also discovered that I had a lot more strength than I thought. I, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> Probably my parents who were wonderful. Uh, but yeah, I'm not sure. I, and I really did this back to this point, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. It's so true. It's so true. And I think that if we can get that far, that's a good start. <laughs> I told my friends, you know, when I start apologizing for apologizing, that, that's at the point at which you can call the men in the white coats. And if not, then at least my mother to <laughs> shake her finger at me. It's so important not to take what people tell you. 
It's to just stand up and say, no, this is who I am, not just that. Well, I know that our listeners are saying to themselves, okay, 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 where can I find this book? Obviously, it's on Amazon. All you need to do is go to Amazon and you see the big search feature. There's sort of a light gray box. Type in, here's the title of the book, T-B-I, To Be Injured, colon, Surviving and Thriving After a Brain Injury by Carol, C-A-R-O-L, Gig, G-I-E-G. Click on that, and the book comes right up. And in the upper right-hand corner of the book, you'll see two words. If you've never noticed these two words, in the representation of the cover, it just says, just right there on the corner, it says, look inside. If you've never clicked on those two words before, do so. The book electronically opens, and I always feel myself doing air quotes when I say the book opens, but it electronically opens, and you can read an excerpt from the book right there. You can also purchase it right there on that page. And Carol and I were talking about uh, books can be expensive, and one of the things about Amazon that I think is so good is that they will offer not only a Kindle version, but they will also offer used books. And so if you're someone who's looking for a better priced book, look at Amazon and look and see if there are used books. Now, Carol, you and I both know that there are people who prefer not to buy from Amazon. They like to buy from another source. Where else might they be able to find the book? Well, if you live in Venetia, you can find it at the library. <laughs> no, I, what if people can go to a bookstore, and I know we want to support, at least around here, we want to support our little local bookstore. And certainly, you know, they can order it. And so that's, you know, that's sort of the basic way to get it. I'm, uh, I'm sure that sometime it will have the chance to be seen elsewhere. But the main thing I wanted to add here is that a lot of us, who are brain injured, didn't get the encouragement, didn't have the friends, didn't have the people that I have in my life, even if they didn't have surgery. So you know what? It's available on Kindle and it's only three or four bucks. I did have <laughs> I did have a choice in how much it would cost online. I did not as far as the book because it was self-published. So I would encourage people, <laughs> whichever. And if you do know someone who's had a stroke or has dementia or has a brain injury, please, 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 it's really encouraged people that they don't have to live the lives that were predicted. So I, I guess what I'm saying is my main idea is to just get it out there to people. I don't, <laughs> that's my motivation, frankly. Well, and the message is just so positive. And you've also got a website that I think is really important for us to mention. Let's give them that website address. Okay. TBI to be injured. That's it. It's that simple. And you've also got a blog. Now, one of the things that I noticed when I went to the website, and of course I always go look, is that you have an article or a, a blog post on there about meditation and brain injury. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, it's interesting because, again, meditation is one of those things that's not recognized fully, certainly more so, but definitely can aid a great deal in recovery because you're giving your brain a rest and stress the cortisol levels go down. So it's really an important piece. I, uh, frankly, um, my form of meditation has been prayer for quite a long time. 
I'm not an overly religious type person, but I do believe in somebody else upstairs. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. I just simply wouldn't be alive. This was definitely not, um, well, in other words, impossible. It wasn't possible. So I feel like I have some purpose, and I know every person who's brain injured has something that's relevant and worth saying. You're just so inspirational. I've said that 43 times. I know you're tired of hearing it, and I, I just um, I just think what you have done, and a hit-and-run victim, and thank God for the person who called and got you to the hospital and the, the neurosurgeon who saved your life. And thank you for sharing not only your story, your very positive story and your very positive recovery with our listeners, but also going to the trouble to add that additional level of research and giving that a broader perspective. The book is not just your story. It's a much broader perspective than that. When our listeners uh, buy a copy of the book, and I see them doing two things with it. I see, first of all, they pick up the book and they begin to read it, and they read it cover to cover. But second of all, I see them keeping that book on the shelf. And I see them picking that book up from time to time and looking at it again to see um, some new in, some piece of information or something that they almost remember but not quite or they want to check a piece of information that you gave or, of research about something or another. So I see them using that book for a very, very long time and keeping it around. As the author what is it that you would like the person who is your reader to take away from the book? What's the bottom line for you, Carol? Believe in yourself. Don't listen to what other people say about you and just succumb to it. Believe in yourself and what the research supports that you do, that you're much more worthwhile than people have been led to believe. Well, thank you for coming on and being my guest on Books on Air and sharing your story and your book with us. It's just been enlightening to talk to you. It's just a pleasure. Suzanne, can I just add one more thing? Yes, you may. Oh, this is very quick. I'm sorry. I want to thank physicians and my friends and family, certainly God, and, and I've learned a lot from this injury. And I'll tell you something. I know without a doubt, that there's a God up there. The reason I know that is because, you know what, it's important, I feel, I'm not overly religious, but I feel that I believe in him, right, somebody who's helping me out, but also that he believes in me. And I know that it's ironic, but my husband suffers from a rapidly progressing dementia, and I've been strong enough, at least this far, to provide him what he needs. I'm strong enough, and if I hadn't learned that along the way, he wouldn't be getting what he needs. Thanks, Suzanne. I just I really appreciate you letting me put that in there because I want people to know they can take care of someone. It's not just somebody taking care of them. Carol, thank you for sharing that. I think that's important as well. And remember, Carol's book is TBI, To Be Injured, Surviving and Thriving After a Brain Injury by Carol, C-A-R-O-L, G-I-E-G. G -I -E -G. You've been listening to the Books on Air podcast brought to you 
on webtalkradio.net. You can also hear this podcast on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. I'm Suzanne Harris, and I hope that you'll join me for the next Books on Air podcast, because remember, you never know who's going to be here, and you never know what we're going to talk about. Thank you so much for listening.